This is Quack Talks, a podcast about voices and vocal health for singers, actors, vocal performers, fitness instructors, really anyone who uses or loves the voice. I'm Paul Quack. I'm a laryngologist and laryngeal surgeon in New York City, and I spend my days taking care of and thinking about voices and the human beings who use and inhabit them. This is episode three, in which we start to get a bit specific. Specifically, I'm going to go about answering two questions. Number one, who should you have on your vocal squad and why? Number two, when and why should I see an ENT? Let's start with the first question. Who should you have on your vocal squad and why? The care of any great athlete involves a great integrated team, your squad, your cabinet. I happen to like sports, particularly American football, and if you look off the field at who's on the sidelines, there's a whole roster of people there to support the athletes. There's a head coach, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, physical therapists, even doctors. It should be the same for a vocal athlete. Building that team takes some time and experience, but I think also some self-awareness about what your specific needs are. I think we'd all probably agree that vocalists starting out benefit from a teacher or a coach. Does everyone need a speech-language pathologist or a doctor from day one? Probably not. Does everyone need a movement coach, a breath specialist, an Alexander Technique instructor? Maybe not. And I find often that certain voice teachers incorporate techniques from what might be considered voice therapy in some of their instruction. And some voice therapists help vocalists transition into the more what we call habilitative or performative aspects of singing. So there can be a lot of overlap and learning about your instrument and your mechanics and then the people who help you grow and learn the best, it takes time. It certainly takes money and sometimes it takes a bit of trial and error. So here's the thing, when you have to try to do all of that, when you're having an issue, a vocal crisis, Uh, Not only is it much harder to do very quickly, but you're just generally less emotionally and mentally equipped to do so. When you're in the heat of panic about trying to figure out what's gone wrong with your voice, how do you figure out what doctor to call, how to find a voice therapist, and more relevantly perhaps, not only how do you immediately assemble the members of your squad in the heat of a crisis, but how do you then go about in that moment filling all of us in on your entire medical, personal, and vocal history in a way such that we can make a comprehensive, sustainable, thoughtful, intelligent plan to get you back on track. Let me put this a little bit more frankly. Often vocalists come into the office and expect that I single-handedly can fix them. I mean, look, when you have a cold, I can definitely help with some medicines to address the local effects of that cold on the tissue of your larynx and vocal folds. And there's actually an episode later in this series dedicated to how we manage the common cold in vocalists. But more often than not, there isn't really a quick fix. Because here's the thing, it's a theme that we'll be returning to again and again. I can't necessarily tell you what the problem is with your voice just by staring at your vocal folds because they're only one part of the system. If we truly believe, as I do, that singing, vocal performance of any kind, is a whole body event, 
then when there's a problem with the voice, we have to consider the possibility that the problem includes other things than just the structure of the vocal folds. It's sort of amazing to me that many vocalists, many experienced vocalists, go decades without ever seeing an ENT. And when there's a problem, they come into the office and they expect us to fix it with a medicine or a surgery. And sometimes I can, but sometimes I can't. And I, I certainly sometimes can't do it all by myself as a physician. But I think that primacy of place of physicians in our culture has actually gotten us into a bit of a rut with things like overprescriptions of reflux medicines. Like if, if your larynx looks normal, your problem with your voice must be because of reflux. And there's an episode about that later in the series with Dr. Abraham Khan, a GI specialist. But again, it's this kind of rut that's gotten us also into like all kinds of shots, whether it's steroid shots, whether it's vitamin shots, whether it's B12, like just shooting people up with B12 backstage. So I believe that leaning in early and assembling the members of your team and taking ownership of your own vocal health before there's a problem makes fixing the problems when they arise not only more effective, but much less scary. It's your body, your voice. That is a simple but radical principle recently in the ongoing care of professional voices. Your body, your voice. And I encourage you to surround yourself with people, the squad that will help you best to learn and grow and excel. The second question then is inevitably related to the first question, when and why should you see an ENT? So I advocate for seeing an ENT sooner rather than later for a few plainly logistical reasons. You'd like to find someone who has a specialty in voice, which can take some research and recommendations. You'd like to find someone who takes your insurance and know what number to call, how long it's gonna take you to get an appointment, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, my bias, of course, as a laryngologist is that vocalists do well to see a laryngologist. I, I tell people, if you don't know what a laryngologist is, we're just the T part of ENT. Because that's, that's what we do all day. We just examine and think about larynxes and their function and the things that can go wrong. So in most major cities at this point, you can find one, if not several, laryngologists. But if you're in a smaller town in America or elsewhere, it can take a bit of work and research to figure out what ENTs in your town specialize in voice. Again, my bias is that vocalists do really well seeking out an academic multidisciplinary voice center because academic multidisciplinary voice centers have the key edition of the speech language pathologist. So for example, when um, new voice patients come into my office, they are seen and evaluated by both me and my speech language pathology colleagues, which adds so much dimension and texture to the analysis of what's going on with the voice. And it helps us really help you put together the many pieces of the puzzle and how best to move forward. One of the upcoming episodes is with my great colleague, Shirley Gerson, and it's all about voice therapy, what speech language pathologists do. I think it really helps lay out why voice therapists can be such a key part of your vocal squad. So there are a lot of logistical and practical reasons that I think it's a good idea to think proactively about finding 
the ENT and potentially the speech language pathology part of your vocal squad. And again, from a sort of practical standpoint, if you've never had an exam of the larynx before, sometimes it can feel a little bit scary and intimidating to think about what it's going to be like to have a camera in your throat looking at your vocal folds. If you go to my website, I've posted a narrated video about the specifics of what it's like to have a laryngoscopic exam to try to help to show you what it's like and help mitigate any anxiety or questions about the exam, which ultimately most people find retrospectively is pretty easy to tolerate. But there's no res like real replacement for having the experience yourself, figuring out which camera you tolerate better, what it feels like, how long any numbing spray we use might linger for you, and on and on. It's kind of terrible to have the very first exam you've ever had be when you're in the moment of a vocal crisis. But here's maybe the more important reason that I think it's valuable to have an exam of the larynx before there's a problem. Many larynxes do not look the way textbooks draw them. Some people just naturally have a bit more redness at the back of the larynx. Some people have more prominent veins in the vocal folds. Some have some swelling here or there. Closure patterns of the vocal folds can vary even the context of normal phonation. And all this, again, can be really completely normal and your baseline. And knowing that makes all the difference when a problem arises, because ultimately what we do when we look at the vocal folds and the larynx in the office is interpret color, shape, texture, swelling. And if we've never seen your larynx before, ultimately what we're doing that first time is making some educated guesses about what's new versus what may have been there for a long time. We're trying to situate that in the context also of what you're experiencing functionally. So being able to know confidently what's new versus what's old, what's different, what's the same makes all the difference when interpreting your exam and therefore making a comprehensive plan to help you. So I hope what you've started to see is that this episode and really this whole podcast, but really this episode about building your vocal squad and proactively getting some information about your vocal anatomy is about empowerment. It's about being able to take ownership of your voice and your vocal health. It's about encouraging you to be curious about your voice and to know that we're here to help give you the information to continue to grow and keep yourself healthy over the course of a long career. You've been listening to Quack Talks. You can find more episodes anywhere you get your podcasts or by following us at our Instagram home where the handle is at quack underscore talks. That's at K-W-A-K underscore T-A-L-K-S or at my website, paulequack.com. Original music and sound design for this podcast is by Max Silverman. Our logo is designed by Designs by Tomiko. Thanks for listening. It's a joy to share these conversations with you.